Hey, if you listen to this podcast week after week, then you will absolutely love my books. There's Travel Light, which basically gives you all of the steps for following your heart. And then there's Knowing Where to Look, which is full of inspirational stories and anecdotes that will help you shift your perspective in the most inspiring way. And for those of you who can't seem to crack the meditation code, grab a copy of Bliss More, How to Succeed in Meditation Without Really Trying, and your meditation practice will never be the same. All of those books are available on Amazon, as well as everywhere else books are sold. That's Travel Light, Knowing Where to Look, and Bliss More. All right, back to the show. I was probably on college number five. I probably had switched majors eight times. I had tried a lot of different paths and nothing had stuck. I was starting to feel a little hopeless and like I was just going to be a failure in life. None of it makes sense. I was just feeling my confidence was totally gone. I just was feeling very hopeless. I also had gotten out of shape. I was just feeling very not confident in every area of my life. And it felt like it was like, try with the push-ups, try with fitness, or there was nothing that I was just giving up on life altogether. Hey there, it's Light Watkins. I'm the host of At the End of the Tunnel. And if this is your first time listening to the show, here's what you're in for. I interview luminaries, artists, philanthropists, creatives, basically anyone who has gone above and beyond to be the change that they want to see in the world. And sometimes they start movements or they create films or they write books that inspire people. And in the case of this week's guest, she created an app, a platform, and a book called The 12-Minute Athlete. My guest's name is Krista Stryker. So Krista grew up as someone who was fairly inactive, physically speaking. However, she was an avid reader and writer, and she thought that one day she would become a journalist. But after being called spaghetti arms by her brother one random afternoon and being challenged to do a push-up, Krista decided to take her physical fitness more seriously. And then this led her to becoming a trainer. And then she worked in a gym. And then during one cold winter, the snow kept Krista from going to work one day. And she began exploring ways of working out at home using her own body weight in the exercises. And she started getting stronger. And this led her to reconsider the effectiveness of spending hours and hours working out in the gym. And then that led to her training others in the short hit workouts that she had been doing in her living room using just body weight exercises. Her clients started seeing results as well. And this all culminated in the 12-minute athlete platform. All the while, Krista was navigating mental health challenges, including depression and anxiety, but she learned how to manage it through meditation and mindful activity. Now, Krista frames her exercise advice through the lens of mental health and her mission is to help us become more stronger and confident using whatever we have around us right now and to embrace the process over the outcome with the understanding that mastery is not about completing or graduating it's about refinement of a skill and we had a really sweet conversation that I can't wait for you to hear 
But before we get into it, I want to let you know about the Happiness Insiders, which is an online community that teaches you practices for increasing happiness within, such as meditation, overcoming fear, finding your purpose. We have a 108-day meditation challenge that you can start anytime to take your practice to another level. And to get more information, just go to thehappinessinsiders.com. There's a free trial which you can use to start the seven-day meditation kickstart. So check that out when you can. It's at thehappinessinsiders.com. And in the meantime, let's get to the backstory of Krista Stryker and see how she found her calling as the 12-minute athlete. Krista, thank you so much for coming on to At the End of the Tunnel. This is an interview that I was really looking forward to doing for a very selfish reason, because since the pandemic started and because my next book is going to be about minimalism, I have purposely been working out in my apartment and outside and not going to the gym. And I also have been working out in 10 minutes or less. So you were one of my inspirations. I didn't start it necessarily because of you, but I knew that because you existed and you have your whole brand, 12-Minute Athlete, and you look amazing. I've always admired your physique and your presence. I'll say your presence because that includes your confidence and it includes just your warmth. And I mean, we don't know each other that well. I didn't know if we've ever actually met in person before. I know we've been in the same space before, but yeah, we haven't we actually met sat. Mind, body, green. But have we sat down and actually had like a proper connection so. and conversation? Like we've been Not in really. the same rooms. Yeah. So yeah, your work has become very relevant for me. And then, of course, I got your book in preparation for this, and I got a chance to get more familiar with your process. And it's the same process that I've been kind of stumbling through on my own in preparation mm-hmm. for, for my writing. <laughs> and so, yeah, I'm excited to just not necessarily talk about the workouts, but just talk about your process and your story. So thanks for coming cool. on to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So you're in Venice, California right now, but you grew up in... Portland, right? Yeah, right outside of Portland in Washington State. So when you think back to your earliest memories as a kid, what were your favorite toys or activities? I was a real bookworm and I loved animals. (laughs) So I basically just read everything I could and I played with all of the stuffed animals and I really just like lived in my own little imagination world. Were there any particular types of books and or animals that you remember fondly today from your childhood? I really love the Chronicles of Narnia and I grew up really hoping that I would one day open a door to Narnia or somewhere cool like that. Really disappointed that never happened. <laughs> So this is a pretty, I'm holding up a copy of Chronicles of Narnia that just happened to be at my Airbnb right next to where we're having this interview. I haven't read it. I've seen the movie. This is a commitment. This is like a relationship, right? For a kid. I love books like that. (laughs) Yeah. Tell me, what about Lewis's messaging and writing style that you connect with as a kid? Which character that you identify with? I don't remember all their names now. It has been a while. But the whole premise of the story is they're like normal kids in some like boring 
I don't know. I think it's like a rich person's house. I'm going to have to go back and read this now. But they find this door and it opens up to this magical world. And there's all these like quests and things that they have to do. And in that world, they become someone kind of special. And this was definitely a theme of my childhood that I wanted to be special. I wanted to be someone great or matter to the world. So I got that by reading books and pretending that I lived in another world. Did you have brothers or sisters? Yeah, but they're way older than me. So I am kind of like an only child, but then with much older sibling. My sister is 14 years older. My brother is 11 years older. So it was kind of odd because I was always trying to grow up and be like them. But like looking back, that's never going to happen. You know, I was a kid and they're in college, but I always felt behind because of that. You were obviously the baby of the family, which means you probably got away with more than whatever they were able to do when they were, they were young. Maybe, except for now, then I had everyone looking out for me and and making sure I didn't get in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You described your dad as being the most active or fit person that you knew at that time. What, What was his deal? What was he like a former athlete or something? No, he never got to actually play any sort of sports because he grew up in a pretty religious family and they had like the Sabbath was on Saturday and all school sports are on Saturday. So he could never play, which is really sad for him, but he is 72 now. And literally he'll do three sports in one day. He kiteboards, he mountain bikes. I grew up and he was a big windsurfer. He then switched to kiteboarding, which is even crazier. He loves skiing, like does like black diamonds, ski runs. I can't do any of this stuff. Just like you name it, he does it. He, he's gotten into pickleball, which is like a really funny, but great social sport. He's just always been super active. When I was a kid, like he'd be at work during the day and then just get super excited when he got home because he'd go like play something. He would play basketball every Wednesday with his friends, just like everything. So it was very inspiring. Did that rub off on you? Did you start playing with him or playing on your own or with friends? Not until I was older. Like I thought I had nothing in common with him until I was older, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is really <laughs> funny because now I kind of relate to him probably the most in the family. If you can remember back yeah. to those days and you're obviously in the house, your brother and sister are gone. What sort of ideologies or mantras do you remember them preaching to you as a kid about the world? You know, you got to work hard. You got to do this. You got to do that. Like what were some of those things that you remember? So the biggest things that I remember, these are the things that are definitely kind of instilled in me still today. They were really, really big on education. So Uh not just formal education. They owned a dental office. My dad was a dentist. My mom like ran the business and they were always doing like workshops, seminars, whatever, learning experiences, reading books. They have like a giant bookshelf in their house filled with everything. So learning was just a big theme. They never really pushed me to do anything 
specific academically, but I always just felt like they were always learning themselves. And so that inspired me to always be learning. They also really prioritize health in general. So both learning and health were really big priorities versus stuff. So I lived in this kind of like pretty white Christian middle-class town and a lot of my friends had like pretty big houses and a lot of stuff and my parents just didn't really buy into that you know we would travel instead of buying some big fancy thing so like experiences were also a big thing Dentistry, pretty good business in America, financially speaking. You obviously saw your dad as being a successful person, I'm assuming. What was your idea of success as a young person? And and what did you envision yourself doing when you, quotes, grew up? I never wanted to be a dentist. (laughs) That wasn't even like a thought in my head because even when I was a little kid, I just wanted to be independent. I wanted to be on my own. I don't really know where I got this from. Like my family has been there in the same house for, I don't know, 25, 30 years. They travel, but then they come home. And my mom says when I was like in third grade, I asked her when I could get my own apartment. Like I just like want to get out in the world. I want to do my own thing. So anything that I envisioned was not working for a big corporation. It was being on my own in some way. I didn't quite know what that would be. And I guess who could know that when like the internet didn't really exist when we were kids. (laughs) I was hoping that I'd figure something out. But yeah, success was like independence for me, not having to answer to someone else, not having to do something I didn't believe in. Also, freedom to go places, travel, set my own day, things like that. When you went to get the job at Starbucks, is it because you needed the money or you just wanted to have that financial independence away from your parents? That was my first job. (laughs) Good research. (laughs) And I was 17. I had left high school early because I could not stay in high school. I was super depressed and hated it. What does that mean? You got a GED or? I got a GED. Yeah. Wow. I got a GED and went straight to college. Didn't want to take the normal path. (laughs) So yeah, I got a job at Starbucks and that was more for just life experience, more for just to do something, start being an adult in the world. And I definitely got a lot out of that experience. I almost have more memories from my first job than I do my entire college career. (laughs) Hey there, really quickly. Have you wanted to find your purpose or be more grateful or start a daily meditation practice, but you're not quite sure where to begin? Well, if inner work is like a drop of water, thehappinessinsiders.com is like your ocean. That's my online community where you can learn real world techniques for cultivating more fulfillment from the inside out. So whether it's learning how to manifest abundance or access your potential or overcome fear or even just start walking every day, I've got a blueprint for you, which means you no longer have to use any more shoddy guesswork. 
And you don't have to use the lone wolf approach to improving yourself. For a small accountability fee, you'll get community, you'll get accountability directly from me, and you'll get comprehensive instructions for getting your meditation practice off the ground. And for my podcast listeners, you'll receive 30% off of the all-access pass if you go to thehappinessinsiders.com right now and use the promo code HAPPY. Again, thehappinessinsiders.com. Enter the promo code HAPPY and you'll get 30% off on a yearly all-access pass, which gives you access to dozens of inner work challenges and masterclasses, such as my 108-day meditation challenge, which has an 80% completion rate. Plus, you get to join me live for weekly meditations on Zoom and much, much more. That's thehappinessinsiders.com. The code is HAPPY. All right, back to the episode. I've actually talked to someone else who worked at Starbucks and she told me that one thing that she got from it was, I guess their culture is about making people feel like they're coming to a familiar place. So you look people in the eyes, you say their name, this kind of thing, and you get people feeling very familiar when they come in. Was there any of that that you took away on any level that you still kind of remember today? Like, oh yeah, I got this at Starbucks when I worked at Starbucks. Yeah. So that's how they started Starbucks. That was one of their like core components of Starbucks when they started. When the guy who started it, whose name is escaping me. um, Howard Schultz. That guy. When he stepped down, it's called the third place concept. That all Mm -hmm. went away. So if you go to a Starbucks now, in my experience, there's very little of that. But Mm -hmm. yeah, back in the day, that was the thing. You wanted it to feel like their third place, their home. You wanted them to feel very welcome. And so I knew all the customers. It was really fun. It was a great place to connect with others. I still friends with some of the baristas from back then. It was a great experience. You still probably remember people's drinks too, right? Because that oh, stuff for you just... sure. <laughs> yeah. At the time, my drink was like a venti, which is 20 ounces. So gross. White mocha. Like literally the entire bottom third of the cup is filled with sugar. Uh-huh. It's so gross because that was before calorie counts. Mm-hmm. So you didn't quite, you know, I could have probably guessed what was in it, but I didn't want to. So I was drinking those regularly. Not good for you. Two more questions about this period of your life. You speak very openly now about mental health, about your experiences with depression, with anxiety, with angst. When did that start? And why do you Mm. know why it started? Can you pinpoint anything? It's always funny to talk about childhood stuff because in some ways it feels like it shouldn't matter, right? Like I was in (laughs) third grade, like, come on, Krista, get over it. But those times in our lives really do make a difference. So Mm -hmm. when I was in third grade, we moved across town (laughs) and all my friends went to the old school and I had to go to a new school and it just like did something to me. I, I turned from this like happy, pretty friendly kid to started being not as social, pretty anxious, started to be a little angsty. And like, as I got older, it got worse and worse. And 
I went through many stages as many teenagers do like my punk stage with like a hard rock stage. I have some pink in my hair now, but it used to be like pink and spiky and I would wear like all black and spikes everywhere, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. But looking back, I don't know that it came out of anything particular other than that, that move started it, but I just was not a happy kid and I didn't have any outlets. So this is a huge thing for me and part of why I love fitness so much. There's so many amazing things about exercise. We can talk or not talk about those later, but I didn't have any sort of physical outlet to kind of use my energy. And now I know so much more about nervous system regulation and deep breathing techniques. And like, I would have a lot of panic attacks and not understand where they came from or how to deal with them at the time. And so it just felt Mm -hmm. like a flaw. And I felt like I was a horrible person. I didn't have any emotional regulation then because no one around me, first of all, they didn't necessarily have emotional regulation. (laughs) So I wasn't taught it, but no one taught me I could learn it either. So I would do things like I would punch holes in walls. Like literally there's like a couple of patches in my parents' walls because I would just get so angry and punch it. Or I would like throw things across the room or... I remember times when I would just get so upset and like run out the door and kind of sprint as fast as I could. And now I I know that's a sign of the nervous system response to a threat. So if your body is preparing you to fight, you're going to get all this like energy and adrenaline and want to do something physical. And I just didn't know how to deal with that. So this along with anxiety, along with like really hating where I lived. It was rainy all the time. I'm a, you know, I, I love the sun. There were so many things that were kind of against me that looking back, I could have helped that younger Krista a lot. Let's say you're listening to this interview and your child is behaving like you were behaving. If you, the adult Krista could whisper some words of encouragement to that parent, what would you tell them about dealing with a child that was like you, knowing everything that you know now? So a couple of things. First of all, I think for every human, but also kids, we need something to be passionate about. So we need an interest in life. Ideally, there's also a physical interest. So this would mean I wasn't into team sports. I played them, but it just wasn't my thing. But like looking back, I would have thrived in martial arts or boxing or something like that. Something to like put my physical energy into, but also just having hobbies and social media is not a hobby, something that you do and you work toward, you put effort toward, you know, it could be anything from like arts to sports, to music, to something. There's all sorts of research and psychology that, shows that having a goal, a project gives our lives more meaning and purpose. It helps us get into flow more often. Does all sorts of good things for us. So that would be one thing. (laughs) And I think that would help a lot. Another thing that you're very familiar with would be some sort of meditation, mindfulness, deep breathing practice. 
it would have helped me a lot. I mean, it helps everyone. You're very aware of the importance of this, but the reason for me why it would have helped so much is to create that space between emotion and response. And that's the thing I was missing. And I look back and I'm just like, it wouldn't have been that difficult to figure that out if I had someone to help me, but I would just have an emotion and it would control me. And I couldn't do anything about it. I just thought it was who I am. And now looking back, I'm like, oh, (laughs) I could have controlled all those things, but I didn't know any better. So those two things would make the world of difference for anxious kids. And everyone's anxious right now. Another theme that I came across in the research is this idea of self-discipline. Where did that come from? Do you remember how it started, why it started? Who was your influence in that regard? Self-discipline for me, hands down, it, it came from exercise, from fitness. And so I started getting into fitness at the end of college. Before that, I really didn't have self-discipline. I pretty much quit everything I, I started. And I was used to being good at some things. It takes discipline to read books of this, this book. <laughs> But not if you like book being stuck in a world. This book is 765 pages. <laughs> so to you, discipline is right. discipline is doing things you don't want to do, like forcing yourself to do things you don't want to do. Yes. I mean, yes, you can have discipline to do the things that you want to do, but it's not hard to do it then. I think that most discipline comes with some struggle. And I, in a lot of ways, I breezed through areas of my life. Like I, I got straight A's in school. I didn't really have to work that hard. But because I didn't have to work that hard, I didn't know how to work hard. <laughs> and mm. so when there was something that I wasn't good at, I would just give up. Mm-hmm. And I would feel like a total failure. And I just, I wasn't willing to put in that time to struggle and fail to get somewhere challenging and new. Why'd you go to five different colleges? (laughs) I don't stay in one place that well. (laughs) I only, I only graduated. Three is understandable. Four is like extreme. Five is like, what is going on with this girl? Did your family like go, what are you doing? What is up with you? Yes, they did, but they still supported me, which looking back, they probably should just cut it off at three. (laughs) Like, thank you, mom and dad, for supporting me. That was very, very sweet. Like my mom would literally like fly to wherever I was, help me move. And, but it was kind of silly to be totally honest. I had this idea that the next place would be the place that I finally felt at home or that I'd fit in or would make me feel whole, which of course that never happens. The plan was at this point to become a journalist or what were you thinking for yourself? Journalist or go into politics. Then when I graduated college, it was about 2007. This was the time when like Everyone was saying, you know, journalism is dying. (laughs) There were no jobs. And, you know, of course, it was like the recession as well. So I could not get a job. 
I even applied for this job at like the smallest paper in the smallest town of Oregon, which I would have just been absolutely miserable. And I didn't get that job. (laughs) And I had worked by this point, I had been an intern and like done radio journalism for the local Portland NPR station. I was like my college and high school. I worked at the newspaper, like led that, like, I had experience and I could not get a job anywhere. I do these interviews and I'm always talking to people who found their calling and, you know, started some movement. And there's always this pivotal moment where something happened and it sort of shifted their whole deal. And it was usually this little thing that they never thought was going to be a big thing. And this, and you end up telling the same story a thousand times later on in your life. Cause that's where everybody wants to know is like, how did you get into the, you know, the 12 minute athlete? And you tell the story about spaghetti arms, <laughs> this random thing that happened one random Tuesday with your brother who's apparently six, seven and very fit (laughs) and he's teasing you. Yeah. So my, my brother has always picked on me. I was hoping that I would be as tall as him. I wanted to be him when I was a kid. I had a marker on my wall to like see where I was at. I never hit six, seven, I guess it's probably a good thing. (laughs) You must be so happy that didn't come true. (laughs) (laughs) And he has size 16 feet. So also probably happy about that one. (laughs) Anyway, so he's always picked on me. You know, he could just squish me if he wants. Like I just have Mm -hmm. no, like no hope. And I also was not very athletic growing up. I failed all those presidential fitness tests. I couldn't touch my toes. Couldn't do like, I could not do anything. And during this random Tuesday, we'll say he challenged me to do a push up. And I don't know why this conversation happened, but I was just so stubborn that I'm like, I'm going to show you. And I did three of like, probably the worst push ups you've ever seen. They're probably like, I'm going down like one inch, but there was a switch for me. And this switch, I think what happened was like I was saying before that I wasn't willing to put in effort because I thought effort meant I was a failure as a person, which this ties in very much if you're familiar with like growth mindset versus fixed mindset that your efforts will make a difference. But I didn't know about any of that then, of course. (laughs) So what switched is I thought... I'm going to be willing to put an effort toward some like fitness because I'd never been willing before. I'd never been willing to fail basically. And these three push-ups were just like the little switch that ignited me and it turned into a whole journey (laughs) and led to where I am today. Usually this is where the story sort of takes a leap (laughs) into you becoming a personal trainer, but coming off the couch, right? And doing these three push-ups, and now you're all motivated. What was happening in the background? Had you been reading Tony Robbins' books? Where did that sense of motivation come from? At this point in my life, I was probably on college number five. I probably had switched majors eight times. I had tried a lot of different paths and nothing had stuck. 
and I was starting to feel a little hopeless and like, I was just going to be a failure in life. This, this like failure as identity thing has been a big theme in my life. I always kind of had this idea that I fail and then I'm just like this horrible person for the rest of my life. Like, and none of it makes sense looking back, but I was just feeling my confidence was totally gone. I just was feeling very hopeless. I also had gotten out of shape. (laughs) So at this point, I had worked at Starbucks and kind of stopped any sort of movement, exercise, practice. Didn't eat well. I was in college. I remember my typical meal was mac and cheese. But I would add some broccoli. So at least I had some vegetables. But I was just feeling very not confident in every area of my life. And it it kind of felt like it was try, like try with the push-ups, try with fitness, or there was nothing that I was just giving up on life altogether. When you say hopeless, giving up on life, what are we talking about on the spectrum of hopelessness? Are you thinking about literally like, I don't know if I want to keep living or is it just, I don't know if I want to keep doing what I'm doing and, and, and I don't know what I'm going to do. I've definitely gone through periods of depression where I didn't want to keep living. At that time of your life? Yes. So in a way, the exercise saved your life. Oh, 100%. So what was the first step? Like, okay, you did three push-ups. What do you do next? You go to the gym, you join a gym, you start running. What do you do? I started running as most people do when they want to get in shape. And Mm -hmm. I realized that I hate running. (laughs) Running has never been, I mean, I'll run like a couple of miles, but like a three mile run was just torture. It's like a workout in slow motion. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I'm like, I get it. People who love to run. I'm not, I'm not hating on anyone. Like everyone find their thing, but running was not my thing, but I did it. And, you know, I would go like two or three times a week. I would use any excuse I could to get out of those workouts, but I kept going and kept trying And from there, I think the thing that got me finally out of running was I got married super young and before my wedding, I don't know why, maybe my mom encouraged me, but I I went to a personal trainer for a few times, which is kind of silly thinking back, (laughs) but (laughs) I did that and he was really encouraging and it was, it was fun. And we, we didn't run. We did all these other things that were not running related. And that was really fun. And I, I built up some confidence pretty quickly because, you know, I was still like in somewhat good shape compared to maybe the other people that had gone to him. And so he would just be really encouraging and, and, you know, tell me that like, I could do all these things if I put in the time and effort. No one had ever told me that before. Like, hmm. which is crazy thinking back. No not even one, your dad. No, not <laughs> He doesn't know that type of fitness. You get mm-hmm. him in a gym and he doesn't really know what he's doing, but get him like on a mountain and he'll crush it. 
this personal trainer just gave me some hope and confidence that I could do this stuff and also gave me ideas of getting out of that boring running routine. And I know you moved away to uh, Amsterdam soon after that, I'm assuming. So you didn't continue on with the trainer, but what was the Amsterdam phase like? Were you working somewhere or were you just thinking, okay, I'm just going to develop myself physically and maybe do something with that? So I moved to Amsterdam with my then husband and I couldn't get a work visa (laughs) and I didn't know this going into this. So I was 21, almost 22. We moved there. I was just out of college, ready to like do anything and I couldn't work. And it was devastating for me. I didn't know what to do with myself. I I volunteered. I did some like freelance writing. Eventually, I didn't know what else to do. So I studied to get my personal training certification, which I'm very grateful for. Was the idea to use that to do what? I thought that would be something that I could do in Amsterdam. And this was all from working with the one trainer before my wedding that encouraged me because he he told me at one point he's like you could be a personal trainer and I thought that was crazy because I never grew up believing I was athletic at all but that just kind of stuck in my mind and it was something that I thought of that I could be independent I could work for myself live around the world if I wanted to it wasn't going to work at a corporation where I'd be stuck in a cubicle or at a desk, like that just sounded horrible to me. So it gave me kind of a hopeful path to a a future that I didn't think existed, but it's pretty cool. How many push-ups could you do at this point in your life? Decent ones, probably not that many yet. I mean, 10 or so. Although most people, I will say most people that do push-ups still don't do them correctly. I do like the gymnast type where it's like full chest to ground and you push up totally. It's way harder than these little miniature push-ups that a lot of people do. So even mm-hmm. today, like in one set, I'm probably only doing 15 to 20. Right. I could push it more, but at this point for something like a push-up, I'm going for maintenance instead of try to get a hundred push-ups in a row. You moved to New York. Now you get to see what the glamorous life of being a personal trainer is actually like. And what was your experience? Working at a big box gym is interesting. (laughs) It's exhausting. You're there all the time. You're getting paid minimum wage unless you're working with a client. And in New York, I worked at Crunch, which is just like a funny giant gym. And For someone to work with me, they charge like, I don't know, 125 an hour. They paid me $20 out of that. And they also forced me to sell supplements, which I hated doing and didn't believe in at all. And so that was a really interesting but tough experience because I felt like I was putting in a lot of time and effort and not being very authentic to myself. You know, I didn't want to push 
sessions on people that I knew couldn't afford it or supplements on people that I knew just didn't really need it. Um, they should just be eating real foods instead. So I didn't last that long <laughs> at a big gym. <laughs> I also myself at that point, partly because of the pressure of just working in a gym and, and still at this point, not knowing that much about personal training, you know, like the certification is, is about a six month process. You can't learn everything about the human body in, in six months. It takes years to really get that experience. So I still didn't really know that much. So I started training on my own like crazy. This is where I went from like zero exercise to like the other extreme of totally overtraining doing way too much all the time. It was never enough. I was starving all the time, had all sorts of injuries because I wasn't resting. As we know, those of us who lived in New York before can get pretty cold in the city. And, you know, one of the reasons I moved out of New York after seven years was because I just got so tired of the winters and having to trek through the snow and how the snow turns black after a day. And it's just, oh, it's just slushy <laughs> and disgusting and cold and miserable. But one of those winters, one of those snowy cold winters was one of the milestones in your life. It changed the direction of your life. At the time I was still working at the gym and I would have to trek through that snow at like five in the morning to go work with clients. Just not fun. And the thing about working with clients too at a gym is like you, you usually have like two early morning and then no one wants to train in the middle of the day. And then you have evening clients. So you just have very little time to yourself. Mm -hmm. But there was a time when it was so snowy, I couldn't go anywhere. And so I started to have to figure out how to work out in my apartment. And this was super new for me. At the time, I didn't really know much about body weight training. I never done gymnastics as a kid, didn't really like know that calisthenics was a thing and started finally experimenting because I didn't have a choice. So I started, I think I had like one kettlebell and a doorway pull-up bar. So I'm like, okay, what can I do with these things? <laughs> and started to put together these like mostly body weight based workouts that also happen to be shorter because you don't want to spend like an hour or more working on your apartment. That's incredibly boring. <laughs> so yeah, I started to put together these little like body weight calisthenics interval training workouts and I was shocked because I got stronger. I got fitter. I actually like got leaner because when I was working out for, you know, hours and hours a day, I was so hungry. I was just like eating all the food. Like I couldn't stop because I needed the energy to eat more food. So with the shorter workouts, my appetite kind of leveled out. Everything got better. <laughs> And I started once, once I got out of the snow, I also like started experimenting with these with my clients and had really great results. Is this when you started the blogs? The 12 minute athlete blog? Well, I know you did a personal development blog first. Oh. <laughs> I think that was about that time. Yeah. So I, I couldn't work at that gym forever. 
it was just gonna kill me and I also I've always been a writer I've always loved to write even when I was a kid I would write books about animals (laughs) so I was trying to figure out like how can I tie everything together so yeah, I had a travel blog, I had a personal development blog, but you know, I was 25, I didn't have that much to say yet. So <laughs> eventually I decided, what about if I write about my fitness experience? Like that seemed like maybe a better path forward and possibly actually could be a business at some point. All right. So you're married, you're still working at Crunch or have, did you quit Crunch at this point? And I'm not assuming you weren't bringing in a whole lot of money right away when you started to train people when these shorter workouts using their body weight and things like that. So did you get any pushback from your family about getting a real job or anything like this? Yeah, of course. They're like, okay, when, when are you going to get a real job? You know, I had PR experience. I had a degree in international relations and communication. So, you know, whatever that means, but I could have tried to work at whatever big company. And I just, I felt like it would just crush my soul to do that. And so I kept trying to figure out ways to bring in enough money to like shut them up so that I could keep doing my thing. And blogging at that time was a really big thing. I mean, and everyone was starting a blog, right? But the thing that I had going for me was consistency. I posted on my blog twice a week, plus new workouts every week for three or four years, like without fail. That got people to like actually take me a little bit seriously. During that early phase of my business, also, I created a workout app. So And that got some attention early on, which was super cool. And also did get my family to stop telling me to get a real job. Before we get to that part, I wanted you to talk about $100 Startup and how that affected your new direction. If you haven't heard of this book, it's by Chris Gillibu, who's super cool. Also, did you ever go to the World Domination Summit, his conference? No. It was so cool. He was supposed to have his... 10th year this past year, but of course, COVID is a really amazing conference full of like people wanting to change the world for the better. He wrote this book called The $100 Startup, and it really inspired me to start my own business and just kind of also had like this great roadmap of how to start a blog, how to post so often. At the time, social media wasn't as big of a thing. So it was more like how to do guest posting and, you know, get on RSS feeds and all this seems so like old school now, but that's how I started Mm -hmm. and it was really helpful. There's obviously thousands of trainers out there in the world and probably a lot of trainers who were online at that time. So you kind of have to choose your lane and figure out, okay, what's my angle? And what you were seeing out there, there was content about women losing weight and men getting bigger. So what did you decide your angle was going to be and why? At the time, I really didn't know anyone else talking about body weight 
no gym interval training, short workouts that you can do anywhere. So I was like, this is going to be my thing. This is something that I believe in so much. It's changed my life. I hope it can change other people's lives. So I just started putting it out there. And then I created the app to go along with it. But I've never liked the separation between like men's training over here and women's training over here. Like, I think everyone should just train like an athlete because I think we're all athletes at heart. And that was kind of where I I came out everything. Why 12 minutes? Had you been experimenting and figured out 12 was like the magic number or is that just like kind of a gimmicky type of thing that you started with and it stuck? Yeah, I would say it's a gimmicky thing. I mean, it's always hard, you know, when you name something. At the time, I was like, I'm probably going to regret this one day. You know, it's like Tim Ferriss and his four-hour work week. You know, here you hear him talk about it now and it's like, oh. <laughs> but, you know, it's how we started. So it's okay. For interval workouts, they can really be anywhere from like five minutes to maybe maximum 20 minutes. But mm-hmm. an interval workout, really, you're just thinking of about, you're like sprinting the whole time. So if you're going to be sprinting, you can't sprint that long. So it has to be a shorter workout if you're going to put out that much effort. So most of my workouts are between like 10 and 15 minutes. The kind of interval ones I do, it'll be something like 18 rounds of 10 second rest intervals and 30 second work intervals. And that just happens to fit really well in a 12 minute workout. And so that's, that's where that came from. I have an app idea that I've been tinkering around with for months now, right? And it's no closer to the next step than it was a month (laughs) ago. So when you came up with this app, were you like right on it and got, or did it take time to develop and you just kind of got pushed into a corner where you just had to say, okay, this is the week we're going to make this thing happen. Because that's not an easy thing to do, to create an app and figure out wireframes and figure out all the things that are associated with it and find developers and people to fix it when stuff goes wrong. It's weird though, because I honestly think in ways it's harder now than it was then. At the time, I had ideas for wireframes. I kind of knew how to use like Adobe InDesign. So I created some like janky looking wireframes of This is how this screen is going to work. This is what this button is going to do. And then I was in a mastermind with a friend, the only person I'd ever known who had also created an app. I asked that person like, hey, do you know any app developers? And he happened to know one. And this guy lived in Barcelona and he was amazing. He was super cool. I got an app made for $6,000, which is like a steal now. It's... I don't know, 100,000, like 50,000. It's so much more money now to create an app. But I like saved up everything I had made and got this app made. And it was a really cool experience. But I do think that it's gotten more complicated and it's gotten harder to do updates and add features and all sorts of things if you don't know how to code. And I decided early on that I wouldn't learn how to code because I thought I could be putting my time into content and fitness related stuff that that would make more sense. But now I kind of wish I knew how to code (laughs) because it's such a pain to do the upkeep. 
at this point, you have the app, you are producing content for YouTube as well. Yeah, I had a YouTube. It was not very good. <laughs> so was there was there an overall vision? Did someone, you or your husband or somebody sit down, okay, this is our five-year plan. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to start making money. These are going to be our different verticals, revenue stream. Or were you just kind of flying by the seat of your pants, figuring it out as you went and hoping for the best? I was kind of winging it, hoping for the best. My husband, he worked at Nike and also had worked at Apple. And so I always had these visions of this is what an app is supposed to be like. This is what design is supposed to look like. This is what a brand is is supposed to be. And I wanted to be that in ways, but then I also didn't want to do the funding route. And so that always kind of made it difficult because, you know, in some ways my app looks like something that could have been made at Apple. Mm -hmm. And in other ways, because I could never keep up with the features that a giant company could do. And that that's always been a little bit of a struggle for me, figuring out that balance of what to do. But when I first started, I really wanted it to be a bigger brand. I really didn't want it to be like the Chris the Striker show. Like, <laughs> you know, now everyone's an influencer. Everyone has their own personal brand. It wasn't really like that as much then. It was just starting to be with social media and YouTube and stuff. But it was a little bit of a different world when I first started. What was like a first big break? How did you get your message out there? How did you build the following? I got featured in the iTunes store as an app pretty early on. That was cool. Because your um, husband worked at Apple, wink, wink. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think, I don't think so. <laughs> it's possible, but that was super cool. I also had a really giant like Google Plus. Do you remember Google Plus? Yeah, of course. <laughs> had a like really weird Google Plus following that was like uh-huh. huge. That was only um, around for like six months, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like six months and then it's all gone. But but whatever, it's fine. <laughs> Social media is so funny. I got featured on random blogs. I don't know. I feel like at the time it was a little easier to do a guest post and then you get a bunch of hits. I, you know, I did a lot of writing for Mind Body Green when they were pretty early on and got yeah. a lot of traffic from that. Well, you said that you had a background cool. in PR as well. So that must have helped somewhat, yeah. I'm assuming. Yeah. But of course, the world of the internet is always changing. So mm-hmm. you never know. There was a point when people were talking about like, is social media going to be a thing? I'm like, come on, you guys. Of course it is. But that was like a question at one point. Well, how did you know that this is going to be a thing? Like this is going to work. I'm able to do this. I'm able to make a living from this. When did that point happen? And what was happening around that time? Were you like meeting strangers who were like, oh, that's Krista Stryker, the airport or something like this? (laughs) I definitely did get recognized, <laughs> which was cool. And I also used to go to a lot of like conferences and events. And when I would meet people, especially in person, and mm-hmm. tell people about my idea or you know what I did, they would light up and like get really excited about it. And or they would try a workout and be like, "Oh my gosh, that was so hard, but it was great," you know that kind of thing. So that positive feedback was great. Got a lot of like people emailing me telling me like I change the way that they worked out or inspire them to like be able to do things they never thought they could do. And just that 
bits of feedback was helpful. I keep stuff like that even still like in a little folder on my computer that I go yeah. to when I'm grumpy. <laughs> I remember at the Mind Body Green conferences that we were at, you were like the handstand woman. Like you're always, not always, but you know, it's like you could you could do them so elegantly and so gracefully. And that took a lot of work, it took a lot of hard work to be able to do that, right? Because you didn't grow up doing anything like that. No, I did not grow up doing that. Yeah, handstands were one of those goals that I set for myself because it seemed like one of the most impossible things to be able to do. And like I said earlier, I I'd never really tried to do hard things before. So this was one of my early attempts to try to like force myself out of my comfort zone and try to teach myself that effort made a difference and could lead to something really cool and meaningful. But I've been at handstands for like seven years now. And I, I practice, I train them almost every day. Mm. So people come up to me and they're like, well, how do you do those? I'm like, well, <laughs> you practice a lot. You know, mm-hmm. I fell over and over and over when I first started. And I still fall when I'm doing more advanced skills. You know, I'm constantly like trying to do more challenging things. It's one of those things. It just takes time and patience and effort. And it's fun, though. I really encourage everyone to try handsing. When people are experiencing mental health issues, particularly depression, you know, the Recommendations involve going outside, vitamin D, exercising, meditating, and all of that. Well, you do all of that, and yet you're still struggling sometimes with depression because, again, you've talked openly about that. How has that sort of changed over the years? Where are you with that now in terms of your ability to kind of frame it in a way that's productive for you as opposed to unproductive in case someone else is experiencing the same thing? I mean, it's been quite a journey for sure. In the past, I would really let it take over. It's kind of like the space between emotion and response thing. Like the depression would just kind of consume me and I didn't have any space from it. Now when it happens, I can see what's happening and I can make a decision. Like, do I want this to take over? Sometimes, you know what? Sometimes I have a day where I'm just sad and I'm just depressed and grumpy. And I'm like, okay, I I get what's happening. I'm going to sit in this for a day and then tomorrow I'm going to get out of it. But now I get to make a choice and I have way more tools to do that. And yeah, like you mentioned, I mean, my absolute go-to tools are like exercise, nature, walks are huge for me learning and reading are really big ones for me. I really need to feel like I'm learning something new to to feel inspired and hopeful and, you know, get out of my own head and connection with others, all those type of things. Uh, adventure, novelty, you know, humans need novelty and, and COVID's been very difficult for that. <laughs> So that was a whole other challenge is like figuring out because before COVID, I kind of had my perfect life, my perfect life where I was doing exactly what I wanted, 
maybe my career wasn't exactly where I wanted yet, but I felt like I was on the way I was traveling, I was going to conferences, and then COVID stopped all of that. So I had to double down on all those other practices, meditation, journaling, exercise. But yeah, it doesn't always work. (laughs) If someone is listening to this, and let's say they are also in the wellness space, and they haven't talked about their mental health issues. What would you say to them in relation to the differences they may notice if they become more open about speaking about that? So I'm sure that's a, that was a struggle for you at some point. And maybe you thought about hiding it because it makes you look a certain way or whatever. And now you're speaking about it in almost, you know, every other post you put on social media, you, you mention it, which I love because I think more people need to start speaking about it. What would you say to that person who may be on the fence around, do I become fully transparent about this or do I just kind of store it away and stick to the positive stuff? I don't know about you, but when I read people's story where they're being like honest and vulnerable and authentic, I am inspired. I feel like more connected to them, more connected to humanity. And I feel like that helps me more than if they're just like, oh my gosh, my life is so great. Everything is perfect. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I think authenticity ends up helping people more. So if your goal is to help people be authentic and, you know, Mm -hmm. share your story, be real, be vulnerable. Yeah, it's hard, but people are going to connect to it. You know, we're all human. We all have this experience. We've all been having a pretty tough, you know, year and a half in whatever way. So let's connect and be honest with each other. Might as well talk about it because we're all going through it in some way. Did you have a moment where you decided I'm going to talk about this or was it just, have you always talked about it? I've always talked about it a little bit. It's funny, maybe it's an introverted quality, but always in the past, it's been easier for me to write about it for strangers than it would be for me to like talk to a close friend or about it, which is kind of an interesting thing. I would say when COVID first hit, something really shifted in me. And I know this is kind of the case with a lot of people, but I realized that time is finite. We're all going to die at some point and I might as well live in the most authentic way possible. And I'd already been getting burnt out a little bit of just like, okay, here are five types of pushups you can do type of talk. (laughs) Like I love exercise, but like, come on at some point, you know, there's only so many pushup types or core exercises that you can do to like, you know, that, that stuff. I, I just had to talk about more. I just had to talk about other things that I felt were more meaningful. And luckily like fitness and exercise and health actually ties into a lot of that. And it really does add meaning to our lives, but that's kind of where that started was really like week two of COVID. I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I can't just talk about workouts. I have to just be authentic and maybe it'll turn people off. Maybe people won't like it, but it's something I have to do for myself and hopefully it will help some people. It's interesting because that's exactly when I became super engaged in your work because you were talking about that. And I was like, wow, I need to start really paying attention to what she's posting because it's so 
different and interesting. And it's not just about exercise. And, you know, it just gives more context to everything else you do. It actually gives more weight to everything else you're talking about because you're being vulnerable and transparent. So thanks for doing that. Um, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So there's another similarity you and I have. I actually self-published my first book back in 2014 slash 15. So I'm very familiar with the process. I did it on Create Space, which is now called Kindle something direct. Publishing Kindle Publishing is, Direct. Yeah. yeah. So talk about that process. Because again, I was dragging my feet for years. Like I, I would write and then I would take three months off and I'd come back and do an edit and then take six months off and then come back. And, and I got to a point where I just was so tired of thinking about it that I had to do something. I had <laughs> to take the next step. And then eventually... Three and a half years later, it finally came out. So why did you decide to self-publish versus going with a publisher? Because I know you had some conversations with publishers. What was that experience like for you? I actually had a book agent early on in mm-hmm. my 12 and athlete career. <laughs> and I mean, publishing itself has gotten weirder. And with social media, now they're just looking for like, basically someone who has enough of a following that they can sell their own books, mm-hmm. which is different from what it used to be. And when I was talking with publishers, it was kind of the beginning of this. And they basically took like my vision and were trying to turn me into something that I just wasn't, I didn't feel good about. It wasn't who I wanted to be. I never wanted to be like a Jillian Michaels or like a group fitness instructor. I just am not that person. <laughs> like I'm chill. I'm quiet. I'm like, I'm encouraging. I work hard. I want others to work hard, but like, I just don't want to be that person. And so it never felt authentic. And we just kind of ended the relationship because it wasn't going where either of us wanted it to go. But I, you know, I love books. Like I, I just love them. And I always wanted to write a book. And so there was one point, I guess, four years ago where I was just kind of sick of not doing anything that interesting. Again, it, it's just like you're in the fitness world. It's like you talk about the thing, same things over and over. And it's just so frustrating and uninspiring after a while. So I actually went to a conference, heard his name is Chandler Bolt, and he wrote this book called Published. And he also has a whole thing called like the self-publishing school. And they're pretty Mm -hmm. cool. But, you know, once again, he laid out like a path to self-publishing your own book. And I set a goal for myself for, I had six months to write it because I was just like, I thrive on goals. Like when I have a goal, I'm like, okay, I can figure out the steps. I know what to do. I get super motivated. When I don't have a goal or when I I finish a project, I get kind of like post-project depression, which apparently is like pretty normal with entrepreneurs or, or writers or whatever. But yeah, I set a goal of getting this book into the world did everything myself. I mean, I I hired like an editor. I had someone read it. I did most of the design, hired a photographer, yeah, put it out to my audience and like had a very good experience with it. I even worked with a PR company. It was really fun. And I, I got on like some 
cool channels and, and magazines. And it was an interesting experience, especially for an introvert that never, like, I never thought I could be on camera. I never like wanted to be in the spotlight, but I shifted my mindset around all this stuff to think, okay, I want to put this message out there. I'm just the messenger. It's not about me. So when I thought of it that way, I stopped being so self-conscious. <laughs> I just like, like, okay, I want, I know this can help people. I'm going to get out in the world. And yeah, it was good. It was a good experience. In case someone's listening to this and they are thinking of writing a book, do you have any words of wisdom for them in terms of the process, the real world process and what to, what to be mindful of? There's so many things. It totally depends on like the type of book and, and stuff, but it's like anything, it's consistency. So mm-hmm. I would definitely say like, in my experience, I don't know about you, but the outline is the hardest part. Like you have all these ideas and they're just like everywhere and you don't know where anything fits and just spend like as much time on that kind of outline. And, you know, if you're creating a book proposal, the chapter summaries as you possibly can and get those really dialed in because that's going to help once you go to write the actual book. But then from there, you know, I'm writing a book right now and I write Every single morning, maybe six days a week for an, an hour, 90 minutes. And like, it doesn't seem like that long, but it adds up. And yeah, it's just, it's all about consistency. So at this point, you have positively impacted the lives of tens of thousands of people through all your platforms, helping them work towards their athletic potential. And now I saw you were doing some boxing or something like this. You're like an amateur boxer now. Is that what's happening? Yeah. Well, I had like a couple matches before COVID. Yeah. So that was another thing I did to push myself out of my comfort zone was learn to box. I always wanted to learn to box, but like getting in the ring, scary, man. (laughs) What did your your people think about that? Like when you told your mom, hey, I'm going to go and be in a boxing match. (laughs) No one really liked it. So everyone is like very pro until they see Million Dollar Baby. <laughs> they like uh-huh. do not like it. Did you ever see that movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. Hillary Swank. Like, yeah, I love that movie. Turns into a vegetable. Like, Yeah. <laughs> but no one likes it then. But something was inspiring you, right? To try this out. And maybe it was your discomfort around it. It's one of the scariest things that you can do is step into a ring. I'd also gotten to a pretty bad car wreck a few years prior where it was kind of another shift in my life where I could have died and I felt like I was holding back in life and just didn't want to do that anymore. (laughs) It's chipping away at my life where I just, I keep trying to be more and more authentic and true to who I am. So after that, it was like, no one can tell me not to do this. It's something I've always wanted to do. So I'm going to work for it and train for it. How are you thinking about success these days? Obviously, it's not about money, but what is it about for you? It's about meaning. (laughs) So meaning in my own life and 
helping others find meaning in theirs. That's always been a big theme in my life. Like I want it, what I do to matter. <laughs> and that's hard because you never know if it's going to matter in the long run. But I, I hope that little things that I've done or said or created have helped in even small ways in people's lives. And what is the next book you're working on? So this book I'm really, really excited about. It's about basically how fitness, exercise, movement has transformed my life and Mm. how I believe it can transform others. So I've gotten really a lot more the last few years gotten really into like psychology and behavior change and the reason behind certain things and There's all sorts of cool things that exercise can do for us that have nothing to do with appearance. And so I talk a lot, a lot about that, like cognitive benefits of exercise, how exercise can help us like learn better, learn to focus, get in flow, give our lives meaning, purpose, connect with community, all stuff like that. So really also just trying to convince people that it's a lifelong thing it's not like a quick fix get abs for the summer like movement exercise can really just add so much to your life and i i really hope to inspire others to get there if someone's listening to this and they get inspired by hearing your story and they want to start challenging themselves physically And let's say they were going to just dedicate those, you know how you dedicated five years to the handstand? If they were going to dedicate, say, five years to mastering one of these three, which one do you recommend that they start with? Because it'll help make all the rest easier. The handstand, the push-up, or the pull-up, or another one? Push-up or pull-up, I would say, for sure. I mean, push-up because you can do it anywhere. Push-ups, this is an amazing exercise where there's like, 800 variations and you can do in your hotel room in your apartment in a park anywhere and i i know with 100 certainty that every single person can do a push-up i don't care if you have to start with your hands on the wall or on like a countertop or on a couch you can build up the strength to do a push-up and it's really cool to watch people you know, especially women, because this women tend to not be as strong in their upper body, but it's really cool to watch them go from a wall push-up, which does not take that much strength to like a full push-up on the ground. It's like this very gratifying experience. And I don't I, think it'll take five years. <laughs> no, I was going to say it'll be a lot quicker, but I also yeah. think one of the most empowering exercises that I have still working on, but mastered is the pull-up. Like it's so intimidating pulling yourself up. You know, I I remember back in in grade school when we had our little presidential exams, I used to hate, 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 hate whenever we had to do a pull-up because I could even bend my arms five degrees and to be able to just hop up on a bar and, and bang out 10 full extension pull-ups. is just so, it just makes you feel so strong. Absolutely. Yeah. But think back to those, those tests. Did anyone help you work up to a pull-up? No, no, there was no PE was just like you, you had natural ability or you, or you didn't. Exactly. 
I would at some point would love to work with schools and like totally transform that whole thing because yeah, they don't we tell were playing you. kickball in one moment, in the next moment, okay, now do some pull ups. <laughs> it's like yeah. what? I know. I couldn't even like hang from the bar. And we're wearing our street clothes. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Pull-ups are amazing. And there's so many different ways to work up to them. Mm. One of my very favorites are just the slow negatives. Go super, Mm. super slow. Do enough of those. In a couple of weeks, you'll build a lot of strength. A lot of people, they want to work out, but their partner is like the couch potato and ordering pizza and and it's so much easier to do it as a couple than it is to do it by yourself. Do you have any suggestions for people who are in that situation? Yeah, it's definitely hard if your partner is not on the same page. I think the thing is everyone can find some sort of activity that they enjoy, some sort of like movement related activity. So Going to the gym may not be your thing, but like maybe going for a hike together on the weekend or playing tennis or biking or, you know, like find something and then it can kind of go from there because you build confidence in one area or you start to enjoy something like active and you think, well, this is actually pretty fun. This makes me feel good. I feel better afterwards. My mood is better. My energy is better. And you start to be open to doing other things. So try classes together, like do outdoor activities. Don't go for a run together unless you both love running. (laughs) But the easiest way to get into it is to do something that feels more like play than work. That's definitely the easiest way as a couple to get into exercise. So if you have trouble thinking of something like, Think back to when you were a kid. What did you love to do when you were a kid? There's everyone has something. You love to jump on the trampoline. You love to like play kickball or, you know, like whatever it is. That stuff all exists now. We live in a time where you can go find the most random class about like the most random thing and it's super fun and cool. Or there's always Zoom, Zoom stuff. Like there's just so many opportunities these days. It's super cool. And it doesn't matter how old you are. Like you can start at 70. It's never too late to start. Yeah. I remember going to one of those adult gymnast facilities in Los Angeles and jumping on. Yeah. You can like jump on stuff. Your harness. It's all safe. It's so, so much fun. Awesome. Well, speaking of childhood, I want to loop back around to you and this Chronicles of Narnia (laughs) story where you find the door to the magical world. And this is something you said that you wanted to be special. And I feel like your purpose as an adult has been to create that outlet or that door for other people, right? Using your own experience and showing them the the metaphorical third place, which is that place within yourself where you can do these things that on the surface are very, very difficult and intimidating, but you break it down into smaller steps. You start to iterate, you start to progress, you start to gauge your own strength increasing, and then it builds confidence. It builds strength, not just in physical exercise, but in other areas of life as well. And that's a very special talent to have and to hone as a trainer. Cause you know, like you experienced that with the trainer before your marriage, right? That was the person that sort of inspired you. And it's not 
often that we cross paths with someone who can inspire us to change the entire trajectory of our life. So uh, I just want to acknowledge you for doing that for tens of thousands of other people and making them feel like they can do it and for continuing to spread your message and continuing to have all the self-discipline and the consistency, which is the only real way to have the impact that you've had and to build the kind of platform that you've been able to build. So just wanted to acknowledge you for that. And thank you for all of the persistence and the diligence and all the things that didn't go your way. I want to thank, I want to thank the universe for that because if, if, if those hadn't happened, then we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. So I appreciate you, Krista. Appreciate you, right? <laughs> and I look forward to crossing paths again very, very soon. You have inspired me to revisit my struggle with the handstand. <laughs> you want some some help? I'll send me videos. <laughs> well, I have the twelve minute athlete, and I have your book, and you you lay it out pretty well in there. I loved what you said about the wall and. Don't yeah. skip that part because that is the most important part for building the foundation. I'll tell you the problem with me and the handstand is I don't mind trying it on a wall. It's just that I'm in these Airbnbs and I don't want to <laughs> dirty up the wall with my feet. So what's the workaround around that? I don't really like being outside on the ground because I'm just a bit of a germaphobe <laughs> putting my hands on the ground. <laughs> okay, fair enough. My feet on a tree. But what's Wear the socks. Wear socks. Clean socks. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. I totally have socks. Yeah. yeah. You can do yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So just cool. find a little little spot in your Airbnb. You'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you've heard all these BS excuses before. <laughs> There's always something. <laughs> There's always something. All right. Well, I'll stop BSing myself and get to it. <laughs> all right. Cool. Well, have a wonderful rest of your day. We'll see you soon. And again, thanks again for making the time. Thank you for tuning in to my interview with Krista Stryker. Her 12-Minute Athlete app is available at the App Store. Her book of the same title is on Amazon and her website, 12-Minute Athlete, which is the number 12 and then MinuteAthlete.com, has more information about how to get started on your mission to become stronger and more confident. And of course, we'll put links to everything in the show notes, which you can find at LightWatkins.com slash tunnel. Speaking of lightwatkins.com, while you're there, you will see my announcement for the audiobook of Knowing Where to Look, which is out now. It's read by me, of course, and it includes bonus commentary about the backstory of some of the most popular doses of inspiration in the book. So if you're a fan of the hardcover, you will certainly love the audiobook as it is a perfect companion to the hardcover version. So definitely check that out when you can. Also, you can get information on my Happiness Insiders community, which has a free trial and a complimentary seven-day meditation kickstart, followed by a 108-day meditation challenge if you join. And being a part of that community will change your life from the inside out, which is why it's called the Happiness Insiders. Just go to thehappinessinsiders.com to get more information and start your free trial. And finally, if you can subscribe and leave a rating or review for this podcast, that would be the best way to help me share these conversations. Ratings matter way more than you probably realize when it comes to making all podcasts searchable. 
I don't have advertisers. I don't have sponsors. So it's very much a labor of love for me right now. And each episode takes hours of pre and post production, as you can probably imagine. And so just a small way that you can help me is by taking 10 seconds to rate the podcast. Just look at your screen, click the name of the podcast, scroll down past the previous episodes. You'll see five stars. Just click the star all the way on the right and you've left a rating. So thanks in advance for that. And I really hope to see you back here next week for the next story from the end of the tunnel. Until then, as always, keep trusting your intuition, keep following your heart and keep taking those leaps of faith. And if no one's told you recently that they believe in you, I believe in you. Thanks and have a great day. You want to get a little extra nudge when it comes to following your heart and taking leaps of faith and believing in yourself each day, then you want to sign up for my free daily dose of inspiration email. You'll join 30,000 other subscribers who receive a short inspirational story or anecdote that's meant to inspire you to become the best version of yourself each day. You can sign up at lightwatkins.com and you'll get your first inspirational message as early as tomorrow. Again, just go to lightwatkins.com. You can sign up for free and you'll wake up each morning inspired to be the best version of yourself.